This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. It's Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. I'm in my Cape Elizabeth studio. Playing catch up. Missed last week. Sorry about that. So much for my resolution to do two shows a week. (laughs) Oops. Well, anyway, today, a word about uh, small town Maine and the Republican candidate running for U.S. Senate against Angus King, who's apparently disappointed in Senator Susan Collins. Uh, And, of course, the latest on Cape Elizabeth housing. I, you know, we're, we're, the end is in sight for the people who want uh, the voters of this town to actually have uh, a say in whether we develop a tasteful and um, innovative neighborhood of affordable housing for kids in our beautiful little community. So, um, well, first, um, you know, Demi Kazunas is recently announced that she is the Republican who is going to take on Angus King. I mean, she has to win a primary if there's some other Republican, but right now she's announced her candidacy. And that's great. I mean, Demi Kazunas is my dentist. And in fact, I was at my dentist's office today, uh, getting my teeth cleaned and it reminded me of our of our meeting and and this is just a a fun story about small town politics and it was in 2012 I was running for U.S. Senate against Angus King I was the Democratic nominee having won the primary and was going to you know (laughs) the writing was on the wall it was just I just had to get through election day because Angus King was obviously going to win in a landslide. And, you know, you just, you got to stick it out. And so I was dutifully showing up at all the polling places, wearing my best uh, public relations face, even though I was exhausted and knew that, you know, (laughs) there was no way in hell I was going to win this election. And so when I went to Saco, it was cold and blustery. And there was this large family standing outside, all in support of Demi Kazunas, who was at that time running to be a a state representative as a Republican. She was running against Barry Hobbins, I believe. And so she was surrounded by her family, a big, beautiful Greek family. Um, Demi is a dentist. Her husband, Joe, is a dentist. And it just seems like good teeth are all around as well as, you know, just it's it's a solid family. The Kazunas family is, um, you know, they have it all. They're good people, um, good family good dentists. And so here I was uh, there to shake hands and introduce myself to the voters going into the polling booth to essentially, you know, vote for Angus King. (laughs) And Demi Kazunis's mother just came up to me and gave me a big hug and like just sort of gently guided me into the group to stand with them. And it was such a like a a lovely uh, gesture. And I was so touched by it. And so there I stood with this, you know, cheerful, um, smiling, lots of white teeth, beautiful family rooting for Demi, who, you know, P.S. did not win that race, but she did go on to become the chair of the Republican Party and now, of course, is running for U.S. Senate. But back then she was a candidate. And the reason why Demi Kazunis's mother did that, it turns out, is <laughs> is because she thought I was Ruth Summers. She thought I was the wife of Charlie Summers, who is the Republican running against Angus King, which I just think is so funny. But because at the time, you know, shortly after the election, I had to, you know, get back to taking care of myself and needed a dentist. And I thought, well, geez, I'm going to go to 
Demi Kazunis because, you know, her mother was so, so graceful and warm and loving. And Demi seems like a, a great person. And that was in 2012. I still go to the dentist. We've sort of maintained, well, you know, a sort of distant professional friendship. But I think the world of Demi Kazunis, and I think it's great that she's running. And I think it's so petty of Angus King's campaign or Angus King himself to suggest that, you know, Angus King is disappointed in Susan Collins that she encouraged Demi Kazunis to run. Like, hello? Are you kidding me? I mean, give me a break. Just, I, I was just so surprised that that even came out. Like, just, oh my goodness, please. Angus, who of course, you know, in 2014 gave a full-throated endorsement of Senator Collins, said she was the real deal. Um, despite him, you know, having convinced Democrats two years prior, that, you know, with a wink and a nod that you know, he was the real deal as a Democrat. So 2014, he endorses Collins. Six years later, when the writing on the proverbial wall was actually uh, that Susan Collins was going to lose and Sarah Gideon, the Democratic candidate, was going to win, well, Angus kept out of the race. And to me, when you step out of a race because your person isn't, you know, projected to win, that's not being neutral. <laughs> that's stabbing your friend in the back. You know what I mean? That's basically saying, sorry, uh, you're on your own. And for him now to be disappointed that Susan Collins wants Demi Kazunas to run as a Republican, I mean, let's face it, the Republican Party needs good candidates. Here we are. It's January 23rd. Hello, in case you haven't heard, primary day in New Hampshire. And let's just say a prayer that, you know, the people of New Hampshire are going to vote for Nikki Haley. Uh, you know, maybe there is a God because Trump's idiot reveal, uh, you know, was uncovered. He was at a speech in, I think it was Laconia, New Hampshire. And he was, you know, a gibbering idiot. He, he sounded like nonsense. It was almost as if he was making fun of Joe Biden, but it wasn't. It was him attempting to persuade the audience to vote for him. And <laughs> The sad thing is that I think probably most of them will. <laughs> but that doesn't mean the independents and the moderate Republicans will. So let's cross our fingers that in New Hampshire, where they say live free or die, that uh, the underdog, Nikki Haley, uh, is, you know, is the winner. Because then she goes on to South Carolina, and that'll be the big test. Because all of these establishment Republicans, like Lindsey Graham, uh, Tim Scott, you know, Mr. Federal Abortion Ban, Tim Scott. Um, all of these people who have stepped behind Trump, including now Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, she was governor there twice. And not only was she, uh, you know, a, a governor who was reelected, she was reelected and took some pretty bold stands when it comes to some of the cultural issues, like removing the Confederate flag from, flag from the capital of South Carolina. And then, of course, to have been tapped to be the U.N. ambassador by Trump himself, I think puts her in a really good position to be an alternative. And if people are looking for the dark horse, she is. I mean, and so fingers crossed for the underdog in New Hampshire. If you're a New Hampshire listener by chance and either are unenrolled or Republican or unregistered, it's not too late. Get out. Every single vote counts. You know, every single vote in Iowa at the caucus, Trump would have swept it had it not been for one vote in one county that put Nikki Haley over the edge to, to just give her that win. And to the people of, um, you know, 
what is it? Uh, it's Dixfield Notch in New Hampshire. The people, the good people who open their uh, polling places at midnight and, you know, they complete the voting within like an hour. And Nikki Haley won the first primary, uh, six votes to nothing. So New Hampshire sending good juju. Everyone, all hands on deck. If you know anybody in New Hampshire, <laughs> text them. Tell them to get out and vote today. And uh, and so here in Cape Elizabeth, uh, we have uh, we have an election on the horizon. Obviously, there's going to be the presidential primary on Super Tuesday, and it's pretty likely Joe Biden, you know, is definitely going to win the Democratic nomination. And the question just really will be if uh, the Republican gets any electoral votes because Maine is one of two states that isn't winner-take-all. So you get the number of electoral votes a state gets is the number of senators, of course, every state has two, plus the number of representatives in the U.S. House. So we have two. We have two congressional districts. So Maine gets four, and it's possible in the second congressional district where Jared Golden will be on the ballot. Uh, in the northern, rural, more conservative district, there's, it's possible for the Republican to get an electoral vote. So so there's a little reason for people to focus on Maine. So we have the, the primary coming up, and that's sort of a big deal. But then in November, of course, it's the presidential race, it's all the, the real races, but in our town, I think, finally, <laughs> this issue that I have been working on, I don't know, for it seems like forever, definitely been a couple of years, uh, will be on the ballot. It, it essentially, the referendum will be on a bond if we cross all the T's and dot all the I's between now and then. Because what has to happen is we have to have uh, the warrant for the election in November is signed in August. And so what that means is that the town council signs, you know, an official document, uh, you know, authorizing certain things to be on the ballot in November. So if you want something on the ballot in November, it has to be signed in August at the town council meeting, which means you have to tee it up to be on the town council meeting that night, which means you have to sort of back in all these deadlines because everything has to follow a process of being on a meeting agenda and then, you know, having a public hearing and then having a vote, um, with other different hoops and requirements along the way, all set forth in the rules and the um, and the charter and the various statutes. So what we're going to do is hopefully on the February meeting have on the agenda for the town council uh, consideration by it to take steps to advance uh, the, you know, the feasibility study at page 18 talks about how to move forward if the town council wants to further, you know, explore building an affordable housing development on Gullcrest. And just, you know, the, the big picture is advancing the goals of the comprehensive plan, okay, advancing the housing goals in the comprehensive plan without having to change any laws. And we would be developing an affordable housing development uh, multiplex that complies with this Cape Elizabeth zoning law using a density bonus allowed under the state law known as LD 2003. So we'd be essentially on the 22 acres that were identified as being feasible in the northern section of Gullcrest, building a road um, 
through that area to accomplish our housing goals. And the road has to go through the designated area. And then for emergency purposes and to allow more than 20 units because of the dead end statute, um, the road has to go through the 22 acres and then sort of loop around the back of the transfer station and have another outlet on Spurwink Road. And the town who, you know, our town, the town of Cape Elizabeth, if we're going to build an affordable housing development as defined by the new, you know, law to include 80% of AMI for rentals and up to 120% of AMI for home ownership, the idea being this would be a neighborhood of combined rental, workforce rental housing, as well as starter homes. And so to imagine a multiplex neighborhood that includes both rentals for workforce and starter homes, um, the town people would be contributing the use of this 22 acres, but we would still maintain ownership. But we would be contributing the use of the land and we would be building the road. And the reason why we'd be building the road is because we own the land and because we can build it using municipal bonds, which would spread the cost out over 30 years. And there's just a whole lot of reasons why municipal bonds are a really good way to build infrastructure and why it makes more sense uh, for the road to be built this way. So, so So when you go into the voting booth in November and you vote on the cost of the road, you're essentially voting on whether you want to do an affordable housing development to advance the goals of the comprehensive plan without changing the law in Gullcrest. And you'll know exactly how much it's going to cost you as a taxpayer because it'll be spelled out on the ballot. And finally, you know, the people can can weigh in because we can't, you know, we can't just keep dancing around uh, this issue. That it's, it's such a joke that, you know, this majority of, of the Housing Diversity Study Committee spent a year studying housing, spent like over $100,000, came up with a 360-page report, and basically recommended when it comes to Gullcrest to study further whether or not, like do a recreational analysis to see if it makes sense to do affordable housing on the athletic fields. It's it's just mind-boggling that that, that, that would be what they, what they recommend, but you know there was three people who obviously saw you know the value in uh, further studying the feasibility of the area that the town council has already designated to be an area of interest. So the housing diversity study committee recommendation is useless. Uh, the the report is useless. It thankfully the housing diversity study committee is is finished with its work. I know we're, you know, we're still going to see the the same old uh, cast of characters give the same old um, sort of nonsensical, um, uh, just uninformed, biased views against developing community housing, what I've been called community housing, which is affordable housing between 80 and 100% AMI on the 22 acres of Gullcrest that we own and and maintaining ownership of it and doing it within the Cape Elizabeth zoning law, which allows in this zone, the RA zone, to do multiplex housing. And with the LD 2003 density bonus, we could build up to, you know, 195 homes, you know, or less. We don't have to build that many, but we could do tasteful 
homes that include garages. And, you know, let's face it, you look around and all you see are these gigantic apartment buildings, right? You just drive through Scarborough and they're everywhere. And now popping up all around them, you know, it's just like another eyesore, which are these storage unit places. Because, oh, geez, I guess when you build, you know, an apartment complex that has 49 units of one-bedroom apartments with no garages and no storage space, well, sure, people are going to move in because they can afford it, but is that quality of life? So there, so everything is, is stored outside or they have to have these storage units. So the idea is that we would do tasteful, just lovely little homes where kids and families and seniors and our workforce could live along the Spurwick River, mimicking the, you know, fabulous Cape Colonial Village right across the Spurwick River that is now an affordable housing development that, you know, that totally works in our town. It's it's tasteful. It's It, it blends in. It, the homes are, you know, are, have a front stoop, a front yard. People have gardens. It's, you know, it's just talk about the way life should be. If we're going to do affordable housing in Cape Elizabeth and it's going to be on our land, it should be beautiful. And and there's no reason why it can't be, and there's no reason why the voters shouldn't be able to make a choice about whether or not they're going to spend an extra five bucks a year in taxes or whatever it is. We can find out the cost, and we can vote on it, and that's the democratic way. And it just, it just, I think it's so ironic that the people who are going to be fighting this are the people who claim to be the affordable housing warriors. It's this elite set that everybody in this election absolutely hates. Okay, the chair of the Housing Diversity Study Committee never mentions that his, you know, his income is essentially based on Wall Street banks investing in low-income tax credit projects because they make so much money for investors. It's the name of the game. It's the sexy investment. This is all about Wall Street and securitization, and so many people have been duped. They think that these apartment buildings are actually a solution. They're not. It. It's just... it. So, I mean, the fact that in Cape Elizabeth we're fighting this battle and so and against us are this banker who is like uh, just really manipulative, in my view, not trustworthy, uh, blowhard. And then we have another, his cohort, who works in the city of Portland as one of the housing, you know, experts, like one of the housing directors. So the city of Portland is is not an example that Cape Elizabeth should follow. Okay, in any respect, having had my office there for like, I don't know, 100 years. Okay, Portland is not doing the housing thing right. You just take a, you know, take a ride down Commercial Street. Check out the rats at Harborview Park. Like, we do not want to emulate Portland. And the idea that somehow because Portland has to build these high-rise, low-income projects, that we have to do it in Cape Elizabeth. So that's the other person who's pushing this agenda for the apartment complexes, you know, in town center and supposedly a housing advocate and yet just working so hard to defeat just, you know, doing nice affordable housing on Gullcrest. And it, so well, I have faith in the Cape, Cape Elizabeth voters. I think when push comes to shove and they go into the voting booth and they actually see what the cost is to do a tasteful, affordable housing development in town that can help our workforce, that can help kids, that we can still maintain ownership of, that is located in a spot that's designated by our forefathers to be, you know, the home for the homeless. And 
you know, they can do the math. So stay tuned. You know, we got to get this thing all teed up. We're going to face opposition at every turn. There's going to be the crybabies on on the you know Facebook page, the Cape POD, which I quit myself. You know, I broke up with them. Um, but you know, and we're also fighting against this zero reporter, Kevin St. Jar, for the Cape Courier. It's really, it's it's just shocking to me that his his reporting on the housing issue is just so bad. And I'll just give you an example. In the latest Courier, he writes about the Housing Diversity Study Committee report, and he says that in delivering these recommendations, the Housing Committee completed a comprehensive survey of town residents. Like, it was by no means a comprehensive survey at all. And not only that, but I took the survey three times because it was it was a joke. And then it says... And by large margins, residents support all the policies presented by the Housing Committee. Are you serious? Like, that's not at all what the report says. And he fails to mention that three people on the Housing Diversity Study Committee felt very strongly about uh, not studying housing at all on Gullcrest. Those same three people then voted against, you know, moving, advancing the idea that the town council looked into, and instead now want to study the feasibility of housing on Gullcrest. So they spent a year and and came around to basically now wanting to do more studies and spending more dollars. And for what? Like, they, they can defend their opposition to putting the question out to the voters. And, and you know, I'm curious to hear what they're going to say. What, what Because we don't have enough information, because they don't believe in elections, because we don't have enough, you know, we're not smart enough as residents, because people like Victoria Volan are just, you know, the experts when it comes to density and the low-income tax credit and TIFFs. And, and Kevin Just is, I guess, the town crier and apparently thinks that he is, I don't know, some guru when it comes to uh, report writing. And you just read the report and you talk to the people on the committee about how the section on Gullcrest was developed, the background of it, and I hope that you will decide that it's, you know, it it's not worth the paper that it's printed on and it's unfortunate that we're spending so much money for the paper that it's printed on, that, that, that this is the product that we get and um, my hope is that we can just move on from there and get the issue out to the voters. So that's that's the goal, is to get the cost of the road, because we can't do housing on Goldcrest unless we build the road. So building the road is going to be the cost to the taxpayers. So a vote on the cost of the road in Goldcrest is a vote on whether or not you want to develop affordable housing, whether or not you want to advance the goals that have been identified in the comprehensive plan of workforce housing, housing for seniors who want to downsize, and families, you know, if, if you, you get to vote on it. this is how much it's going to cost, and we don't have to change any laws. And that's key, because all of our troubles lately, all of our housing troubles, have arisen from the drumbeat to change the zoning ordinance. And whether that's a worthy cause or not, it's not easy, and it's it, there's no end in sight. So if we want to actually build housing, as opposed to just keep talking about housing and writing reports on housing and doing surveys on housing and giving lectures on housing and doing these stupid podcasts on housing, I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing it, then we just need to get the issue out to the voters. And so that's why uh, we're going to keep working on it. And you can 
Find all the latest updates on Cape Elizabeth housing here on Keep Up, because unfortunately you can't find it in the Cape Current. And uh, final note for anyone who's interested in seeing the area in question, there'll be a site walk on February 11th. That's a Sunday, begin at beginning at 10 a.m. And um, it'll be muddy, so you wear your boots, and you can see for yourself whether it's a walkable site. Uh, you know, just and I'm referencing this idiotic phrase in the report drafted by Kevin Just that if we build you know housing on Gullcrest at this site, it's not walkable. And he points to you know some policy somewhere. Well, you know, there's a greenbelt trail that links it directly. To the schools, you know, using a like gorgeous wooden bridge over the Spurwink River, to say that's not walkable is just—it's laughable. <laughs> you know, it's a greenbelt trail; it's on a map, you, and we're going to walk it on February 11th, and you can see for yourself, and uh, you can keep up. Till next time, this is Cynthia Dale signing off. Take care.